three weeks into the OHL season, and it is fair to say, Dan Mahara, that neither you nor I have any idea what's going on in the Ontario Hockey League. Fair enough? Yeah, I think the only thing I'm certain of right now is that I have no clue what I'm doing because all my predictions look terrible right now. I just do not know what's going on. You know, that's the best part about predictions because you can always look back on them and either make fun of yourself or others will remind us how dumb we sounded when we did those season previews. And having said all of that, of course, let's remember what I said at the beginning. This is week three of the Ontario Hockey League season, but it is it has been a weird weird season so far everything you expected to happen uh has not happened at all yeah basically i i need to thank the mississauga steelheads for my only street cred right now because everything else is about the exact mirror opposite of the script we expected to see and so yeah that caveat of early season is the only thing we can cling to right now mike okay this is uh, a reminder to you that it is the OHL podcast. He is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL and send us an email anytime OHL podcast at rogers.com. couple of actually a few quick things I just wanted to throw onto the podcast as we get things going. Uh, congratulations to Brant Clark of the Barry Colts. I don't know, made his NHL debut with the LA Kings this past week. Hey, congratulations to Wyatt Johnston, made his NHL debut and scored his first NHL goal with the Dallas Stars. And I would be remiss if I didn't give uh, a little nod to one of my favorite stories in junior hockey over the last little while, and that is Arbor Jacki, undrafted to the O, undrafted to the show, and has his first NHL point and assist with the Montreal Canadiens. So some former OHLers making good, although Johnston and Clark may be back in the OHL. That remains to be seen if they stay up with the big clubs. But having gotten those little notables out of the way, Dan, full credit to you for your description of the OHL's Midwest division, or do we now call it the Midworst? Because we all said coming into the season that this would be a scary division in terms of it would be scary to play the teams there. The early results are anything but. What's scary is how poorly some of these teams are performing. So if I if I had told you that at this point in the season, the Niagara Ice Dogs would have as many wins as London, Kitchener, and Guelph combined, what would you have said to me? Combined. That's exactly where we're sitting. So it's, <laughs> it is scary, and it is. I don't think anyone saw it coming. If you did, full credit to you. But uh, we have to believe this is just some October anomaly, and we're going to see something different in November. Okay, since you brought up Niagara and that's a great point like as many wins combined as London Kitchener Guelph the Niagara Ice Dogs already have the running joke this past week is that there was a trade made in the Ontario Hockey League that did not involve the Niagara Ice Dogs who like this one just confuses and confounds I know it's a bit of a tangent here but Matt Pappas they acquire for a third and a fourth rounder then they sell for a fifth rounder I don't get it at all that's not, I mean, I, I, dating myself with these Seinfeld references far well, but if you look at the uh, George Costanza School of Asset Management when he was giving the lectures on asset management, I'm pretty sure, chapter one, do not give up a third and fourth round pick and then trade the guy later for a fifth round pick. Maybe a year later if things didn't work out, but we're talking just a couple of weeks later. So that, that's a bit of a puzzler and, and not knowing the full story, what may have gone on behind the scenes or what, what happened with the player there. But that's, yeah, not not a, on the surface, not asset management 101 for sure. 
So the trade that did happen in the Ontario Hockey League this past week was the Kitchener Rangers going out and getting a guy, like getting a legitimate guy in Marco Costantini, the goaltender that led Hamilton to a Memorial Cup last season. Now, look, we can talk all we want about the kind of team that Hamilton was. It was obviously built to win. Does that in any way disguise weaknesses in a goaltender? I don't know, but I will say this, getting that far and getting that kind of experience doesn't come cheap. I think Mike McKenzie did a really nice job in getting Costantini's services for a second rounder. I know those are the coveted picks, but a second and a conditional sixth, to me, that's a really good price for a goaltender of Costantini's caliber. And what it says to me, Dan, despite the start for the Kitchener Rangers, Mike McKenzie and the Rangers organization are still serious about this is a season that they are in. They expect to contend and maybe even contend for a championship. Yeah, and I, and I don't think Mike McKenzie meant there's any slight against Jackson Parsons or Marcus Vandenberg, the, t- the tandem he had there. But of course, Vandenberg gets mono. He had a hole he needed to fill. But I think even without that fact, I think he knew that early season, team was struggling and it wasn't on Jackson Parsons, but they weren't getting that key save when they needed it either. And you bring in a guy like Costantini and you're getting that save now. And we saw it uh, yesterday, uh, Flint in on the weekend, good team. Costantini's there for a few key saves early and the script is entirely different there. Team builds some confidence instead of being down to nothing, they're in the game, much different results. So you see those veteran goalies come in with a pedigree like that and that can really uh, make, make or break a season for a team like Kitchener that has a lot of veterans and more is expected of them than they were getting. Well, speaking of breaking, a game breaker without any question, a first rounder to the NHL in Montreal and Philip Machar is going to be assigned, has been assigned. It was just some double IHF paperwork that kept Machar out of the lineup this past weekend for the Rangers, but the weekend upcoming, Machar will be up front for the Kitchener Rangers. And this is a difference maker without any doubt about it. Yeah, we've talked a little bit on previous pods about how Kitchener's lacking some of that speed and he brings that in spades to this lineup and skill as well, which any team can use, but Kitchener particularly at this point. It'll just be interesting to see uh, how they deploy him. I know the the Habs see him as a center. He sees himself as a center, but he's also got some experience on wing. Kitchener's already got uh, Pinelli and, and Serpa at center and, and Rakov taking some reps there as well. So center line's a little bit crowded there. So we'll see what, what uh, coach Dennis decides to do with Massar, but it, it's a good problem to have. This is not, I mean, we're, we're based in Kitchener. This is not a Kitchener Rangers podcast, but again, just going to the deal for Costantini, the fact that Mashar is coming anybody. And, and there were a few, and I think you can expect that after an Owen five start, but anybody that was reaching, like reaching for that panic button to push uh, really needs to dial it back here and take, take the long view. Because again, with what the Rangers already have on paper and what, with what they've now added through the trade and Mashar being sent back to junior or sent to junior uh, indicates to me completely that this Rangers team is still gunning for a title this year. Yeah. And they should be right in that mix. I know they're starting to get some doubters in in the social media sphere and in the scouting sphere based on the start and the lack of some really high end elite offensive skill in the lineup, maybe, but this, let's face it, it's a veteran team that has a lot of potential and, and they should be shooting for the top half of the conference, if not contention. So this is a, a wake-up call for the team. I think when you make a move like this, it's saying, you know, look, 
we're we're going for it here. You're either with us or against us. And I think I think the team is getting the message. Okay. Looking at the rest of this mid-worst division in the early going anyway, I think most expected this to be a down year for the London Knights, but that's only down relative to the London Knights' usual performances, right? So that's the one piece of this. The other team, though, in the division that is struggling in a surprising way are the Guelph Storm. How do you evaluate those two teams in the early going? Well, I think with London, you're right. The expectation was a little different this year. We're not used to them not being in contention. But I think when you factor in as well that they've been missing Logan Mayu, they've been missing Isaac George, there's a few key components out of that lineup. Uh, integrating some new young players, Sam Dickinson, uh, Brett Brochu hasn't been himself yet. Uh, so there's a few factors going on in London that that the record's worse than you would expect for sure. But I think you're going to slowly start to see that turnaround now as those players come back into the lineup this week and next week. Uh, not uh, Probably get themselves into the mid-pack anyway. In Guelph, it's a slightly different story. I think the um, some of the firepower that, that had me picking them right at the top of the conference has been a little quiet to start. Uh, Carabella, Poitras, some of the some of the players you expected a lot from. Slow start, which is fine. They'll get going. Uh, but the biggest issue in Guelph right now is they just cannot keep the puck out of the net. And I was extremely high on Cam Allen, and I'm not blaming him for this, but, uh, but he's a player that I think is going to start to take on that leadership role as we go here and, and hopefully right that ship. But they brought in Jake Murray when they lost Luke, uh, Luca Profaka, which was not expected. So they had some blips they've had to deal with, uh, Scott Walker's health situation. So I think they're just some adversity there they weren't expecting is probably the answer. But if they're going to turn it around, they have got to figure out a way to keep pucks out of their net. George Burnett has never been a guy that's shy to make deals. I think the Murray deal is is one such indicator. But you're right. When it comes to the difficulty Guelph is having in keeping pucks out of the net, I think this speaks to a, a bigger picture issue, if you will, in the Ontario Hockey League. And I encountered this just in a media room conversation in I can't remember if it was Kingston or Ottawa the other weekend, but regardless on that trip, you know, just making some idle chit chat in the room before the game and goal, the issue of goaltending came up and the, the response was what team doesn't want goaltending. And then again, I'll just tie it back into what you just saw the Kitchener Rangers go and do. It's not a knock against Jackson Parsons are obviously with Vandenberg out for a number of weeks with mono. You need to have somebody else in there. They've decided to get somebody proven, veteran, et cetera. But outside of Brochu and now Costantini, you look around the league and you're like, who really loves their goaltending right now? Yeah, I mean, there's a few teams that would probably argue they're pretty happy with it. Uh, you look very Colts uh, starting to come on with uh, the acquisition. Uh, they made a net in the offseason. You've had a few teams that are probably okay long-term with it, but... There's an awful lot of teams that look like they could use a, an upgrade there, which is it, which is surprising to come back to your point about the price Mike McKenzie paid for Costantini's. Overagers tend not to go for as much early in the season uh, and seemed like a fair price, but you might have expected a few extra bids there. So, yeah, we'll, just, we'll see, but the goaltending picture is unclear. Yeah, and I just, I just don't know, you know, if that's your issue in Guelph, for example, where do you go and start to even consider plugging the hole? Because it's such a prized commodity. And, and again, this is something we've talked about in the league for a number of years. So just, I mean, heck, wasn't there virtually a summit in Canada about how we as a country are not developing goaltenders anymore in the game of hockey? 
I think it's a real legitimate concern. I mean, you, you look at Carey Price's health going south and not being available to Canada anymore, and then you start to ask yourself, well, who are the three goalies, the next World Cup or Olympics? And the list gets pretty thin pretty quickly, and it's been 20 years or more since we've really developed a lot of high-end goalies. So there's something in Canadian hockey circles that, that with goaltending that is just not really working out at the same pace as other countries. And what that is, I'm not sure, but uh, you have a junior league like the OHL where some of these young kids come in and it's tough for them to get a shot at the crease till they're 19 or 20 uh, oftentimes. So maybe, maybe it's there. Uh, maybe there's something to be said about having those, those goalies play uh, starter role at a lower league till they're a little bit older, but uh, whatever it is, it's not happening in Canada very much right now. All right. If the OHL's Midwest division is the one that's surprising for its slow start, when we shift our attention to the Eastern Conference, a team that I recall you and I in our Eastern Conference preview, Dan, talking about the Ottawa 67s as a team, we just, we weren't sure who or what they were. And I guess the early returns tell us that they are perfect six and oh out of the gate and these are not getting by by the skinny your teeth game with the exception i guess maybe of that uh seven six shootout win over the oshawa generals i think that was game game one or two but other than that they yeah they they handed it to the guelph storm this weekend they took pretty good care of the kitchen arrangers i could go on and on that six and oh start is not a mirage in the nation's capital no and i I don't think either one of us are totally surprised either when we when we discussed the eastern conference before the season i think we both saw a lot of potential in that ottawa lineup and the one thing i I was toying with with my predictions uh i kind of had ottawa mid-pack and but i was i was hesitant because you have a player coming back of jack beck's caliber uh we talked about some of the other players taking a step forward luca pinelli and you got matira in the back end they're they're bringing a number of new players in that have a lot of skill and you start to think, you know, there's a lot of pieces in that lineup to do some damage. And I think I'm not expecting them to, to go 68. No, but uh, I, I think it's fair to say that they're, they're going to be right there in the East. So it, a surprise. Yes. I'm not sure a total shock though. You're so right. Jack Beck is a great player. Uh, Stonehouse and, and Pinelli. Uh, Boucher are really nice pieces up front. Mateer, we talked about on the podcast last week, a great piece on the back end. They're getting goaltending. And let's let's be clear about this too. Uh, from the behind the bench to the front office with James Boyd as GM and Dave Cameron as coach, they are a really well-structured organization. Yes, they are. They're a professional organization. They bring in people that are serious about winning, uh, they just need someone to help the media and they're, they're rolling. <laughs> That's all I ask for. Just give me some notes before I do a game. Help me, help me help you. Uh, it, it occurred to me when I took a look at some numbers before we sat down today, Dan, and I'll just throw this one at you. But did you know that the Ottawa 67s are not the only undefeated team in the Ontario Hockey League right now? You know what? It, it, only in my very... Uh last minute scans did that did that come up okay yeah, it's surprising yes there's it, another team further to the west right exactly I, I, I dare i say as far to the west as one can go in this league and it's a bit of a trick because it's undefeated in regulation but the windsor spitfires are yet to taste regulation defeat and i don't think anybody saw that coming and now i mean i'm not going to go suggest because 
I mentioned at the outset when Wyatt Johnston scores already in the National Hockey League, does he come back? Does he not come back? I wouldn't suggest that the Spitfires are making a decision whether or not they build around him and go for it again or not. I think this just surprises me from a team that made a bunch of deals last year to get where they got to be in this position early on. Yeah, you wouldn't expect it. And and I, but I think we referenced this when we were talking about the Hamilton Bulldogs in the preseason pod was that when you go that far in the playoffs, there are benefits you reap from that throughout the lineup in the following years. And and you look and you see, you know, eight, nine, ten players sometimes leaving your lineup, and you think, oh, they're dead, they're gonna come last place. But you can't discount the step forward and the learning that those other players took from that experience. And that's why I'm never quick to write off championship caliber teams the next year despite who they lose because there's often huge leap for leaps forward and that's why gms that are astute recognize that and they uh they really want to try and win as much as they can because it just reaps benefits in subsequent years and i think that's what you're seeing so far with windsor there's some learning there that happened this is going to be so much fun to look back on later in the season when things kind of find their level in the Ontario Hockey League and Windsor is down more towards the mid-pack. We'll see where Ottawa ends up, as we said at the beginning of the season, maybe a mid-pack team, but off to this great start. And you mentioned uh, at least Mississauga is doing what you expected them to do. I will add to that, and and we touched on this last week when we talked about the relative strength of the Eastern Conference, but I, I think Sudbury and Peterborough are really nice teams and nice stories in the Eastern Conference in the early season too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can go up and down the Eastern Conference. As of right now, if you throw away overtime and shootout losses, every single team in the East is 500 or better right now. So I think the whole conference is a pleasant surprise. The two you just referenced, for sure. Sudbury, a a bit of a dark horse I had there too. There's enough talent there that they can make some noise. And Peterborough, you nailed uh, in the preseason. And then you're starting to see some of those other records come back up. The Barry Colts now up well above 500. You've got, surprisingly to some extent, Kingston Frontenacs have a, have a solid record going right now and they haven't had Shane Wright return to them who still may come back. So there's a lot of, whole lot of positive in the east side, Eastern side of the province right now. And that hasn't always been the case recently. What do you think on the prospects of Wright, Wyatt Johnston, and we just barely touched on Brant Clark, but all three guys obviously still up. Do they get returned to this league? Do you think? Well, I know that, the LA Kings have an abundance of defense, particularly right defense right now. So for Brant Clark to still be there speaks to how well he played in the in the camp in early season. I suspect he's going to make his way back to Barry at some point this year, whether it's after the World Juniors or even earlier. So I'd, I'd put a high probability there. Uh, I think Shane Wright, uh, before the season, I might not have said so, but I, I think there's a pretty good chance he'll be back now. Not getting much usage in Seattle right now. Um, you can't have him sitting in the press box and playing six minutes a night, which has happened the last couple starts. So we'll see how that one develops, but I would, I would expect you might see that's a player you'll see at the world juniors for sure. Probably back in Kingston at some point. Wyatt Johnson's the one I'm not hundred percent sure about at this point. Uh, I think from a skill level and a ability level, he's, he's ready to play in that Dallas stars lineup. So we'll see how that, that materializes. I'm probably placing that one at 50, 50, but I, I think there's still a decent chance. He'll, he'll be back. All three will be back um, by the new year. Anyway. Uh, not any intention of coming back. Can't come back to the Ontario hockey league. So don't misunderstand when I bring up the name Arbor Jacki, but even as the season started, there was talk about him 
being in the AHL as opposed to with the big club. He starts with the big club. I made reference to his assist. And I just want to bring this up just because I think he is such a great story, just hard work and determination. But I don't think there's much idea of taking Arbor Jack out of the lineup. That game where he registered his assist, he also played 12 minutes, Dan. That, that's not chump change for a defenseman in the National Hockey League. No, and I, I, the Montreal Canadiens' top two left defensemen were supposed to be Joel Edmondson and Mike Matheson. They're both out, out of the lineup right now. So that's keeping Jack Eye there, and he's acquitted himself well. He had a, a decent season opener after a great camp. A bit of a rough game, too. Uh, made some mistakes, but as we know with that kid's learning curve, he, he just figures it out, and game three had another really strong game. So we'll see uh, as those veterans get healthy. I think what Montreal is finding out right now, they've got four rookies on defense right now, and, and they're all acquitting themselves very well, Caden Gooley and, uh, and Jordan Harrison in particular. So I suspect, don't be shocked, OHL fans, if you see Arbor spend some time in the AHL this year. It's not a, a knock on him. That was always the plan uh, as the lineup got healthy. But he is sure making a case for himself. And, and if he's not a full-timer for this whole season, he will be next year because he's, he's right there and we're seeing it. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I cannot possibly even utter that team's name without it catching in my throat a little bit. Can't stand the organization, but I love that story. Arbor Jack guy is a great story. I'll continue to cheer for him and, uh, and follow with a pretty close eye as he moves forward in his pro career. Okay, let's keep the focus on just individual players because a guy that jumped out to me, and I know, like, okay, Farwell, pick somebody that is, you know, a little bit more surprising or unexpected, but, you know, he's a first rounder to the National Hockey League. The New York Rangers love him for a good reason, but having seen Brennan Othman up closer uh, than I had, obviously, at any other point this season, uh, it looks to me, Dan, and it's not to take anything away from Pavel Minchikov or any of the other guys that are off to great starts, but to me, this is Brennan Othman's league this year, and the rest of us are just playing in it. Yeah, uh, Brennan Othman, I mean, has as good hand eye as you'll see in the league. Uh, just dynamic offensive instincts that dangerous three or four times a period every game. So uh, just a, a treat to watch and, and maybe almost a little bit too good right now. Cause if when watching the Flint Firebirds, my one criticism would be maybe looking for Brendan Hoffman a little bit too often and becoming predictable. And you, you see that kind of shutting down their offense at times right now. Uh, and that's, Certainly not a knock on him. Obviously, he's he's stirring the drink right now. But uh, if you get a chance to get out and watch that player, uh, you won't be disappointed. That's the player that's going to be in the NHL sooner than later. I was really surprised by the Firebirds weekend, to be honest with you. They put up a big crooked number on Erie to open the weekend, winning 8-1. But then they go into St. Catharines, grab a 3-0 lead, and then give up 7 to the ice dogs before coming in. And I know, I know it's the third game in two and a half days and nobody likes it. That was a long weekend on the road for the Flint Firebirds, but surrender six to a previously winless Rangers team. It's not what I expected from Flint, a team that many of us and you and I would be included in that thought might be the cream of the Western conference this year. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, we don't want to give them too many excuses about the compacted schedule. Cause every team in the OHL is going to have that excuse multiple times this year, uh, running on fumes and game three in the weekend kind of thing. But watching that game, you clearly see it when teams are on their third game in two and a half days, often it doesn't go their way, but they, the starts are usually fine. And at some point during the game, depending on how it's going, they either find the fumes to get through the game or there's enough pushback from the opponent that they just kind of fooled. And I think that's what we saw with Flint in game three. 
on their weekend where had enough muster in the tank to kind of compete in the first period. But as soon as there started to be some significant skating and pushback from the opponent in the second period, the energy ran out. And when you're on game three, you can't find it again later in the game. Uh, and I think that's what we saw with Flint. So we'll give him a bit of a pass on this weekend, but I think there are some things to fix there, just like just about every team in the West right now. When you look at the league, Dan, just as we wrap up this episode of the OHL podcast, we, we talked about attendance numbers in the opening weekend, which seemed pretty strong across the league, which was a nice indicator to me that that maybe we are kind of getting back to that normal. I, I seem it feels to me that the caliber of play is where it needs to be for this league to entertain its fans again for a full 68 game sketch. How do you feel about where the league is at in terms of that caliber of play? Yeah, so I, I, I think it's a much longer discussion to talk about that overall, the way the play has changed over the decades and whatnot. But I, I think the biggest positive takeaway I have from the early season is is maybe the parity piece and the fact that every team has someone or multiple players worth coming to see. There aren't those dud teams where there's just no point in buying a ticket to go see them. Um, every team has something to write home about and something worth the price of admission. And there's no team that's getting blown out of the water right now. When, when the worst teams in the league are Kitchener and London, your league's in pretty good shape. Uh, so I think that's my biggest takeaway, Mike, the state of the league right now is because there's a whole lot of positives across the league. There's no, no team that's saying, ah, oh, this is seasons are right off before it starts. And that's a great thing. When the worst teams in the league are Kitchener and London, your league is in pretty good shape. Just tell that to the fan bases in Kitchener and London. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know what? I, I, we talk about being based in Kitchener and we have some good friends in London too. And I think that uh, we've had enough good fortune over the years that we can, we can suck it up for a bad month or two. So you can share your feedback with us on this podcast. Uh, the email address is ohlpodcast at rogers.com. He is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL on Twitter. Our feature interview in the OHL podcast coming up on Friday played for both Ted Nolan and Burt Templeton. So, Dan, I know this is going to be just your kind of player that's going to be featured in the interview on Friday. Can't wait for those stories. <laughs> yeah, you, we're, we're going to have to devote one of these uh, smaller snack-sized episodes to just the glory days of the 1980s when you and I were cutting our teeth as fans and going to the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium and watching the Antosky brothers run around. Those were good days. Oh, were they ever. So many good memories, but not always good memories for the players, but good memories nonetheless. <laughs> Please uh, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review. We always want to hear from you. Again, the email address is ohlpodcast at rogers.com. He is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Listen for that feature interview on Friday. Played for Nolan. Played for Templeton. Oh, played in Guelph, too, with some guy named Jeff O'Neill. You'll find out who he is on Friday, the next episode of the OHL Podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. 
Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.